Hey, I, I don't know how, I, I don't want to take a lot of time, but I have to take enough time uh, to persuade us all in the Spirit that while the living God who lives in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, needing nothing other than himself, finds it wonder of wonders necessary to draft us in on the work that he does. I don't know why it is. I just know that it is. So by the time this service is over, be ready to participate. Listen to these words from Jesus. He's in the upper room with his disciples. He leans into the table and says to them, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, will do greater works than these. I mean, can that be true? Let me read that again. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these. I don't mean to sound irreverent, but I have a hard time believing that. I mean, me, you, utterly average us, are going to do greater works than Jesus. I mean, come on. Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus quieted the raging storms. Jesus looked eyeball to eyeball with the evil and waited for it to blink, and it did. And we're going to do greater things than him. Come on. Jesus, who straightened the legs of the lame, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, and when it was his turn to fulfill all righteousness, laid himself down on a cross, and when the grave was not big enough and death not strong enough, he beat death at its own game, and now he turns to you and me and says, the one who believes in me will do what I do, and in fact, will do greater things than these. Well, I don't pretend to understand how that works, but I think it would be reasonable for us to take a few moments and return again to the earliest days of the Christian movement when our first sisters and brothers were trying this promise on for size. So you, you pay attention in this long story of the things that they did that allowed them to do greater works than Jesus in the hopes that we can do the same. Listen with me to these words from the book that we love. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he might ask for alms. He saw Peter and John entering the temple and he asked them for alms. Peter turned and looked at him intently 
He expected to receive something from them. But Peter said to him, silver have I none, gold have I none, but I give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately, the man jumping up began to walk. His ankles and his feet were made strong. And all the people who stood stood there saw him, recognized that he was the man who was born lame, and they were filled with wonder and astonishment. He was clinging to Peter and John in the temple. And people rushed to see him, filled with astonishment. Peter saw them and he addressed the crowd saying, You Israelites, why do you wonder about this? And why do you look at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man whole? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has chosen to glorify his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over to be rejected in the presence of Pilate. You rejected the holy and righteous one whom God had raised up, and Pilate himself had decided to hand him over to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him up, and of this you are all witnesses. A little later, Peter was continuing talking to them, saying, I know that in times past you acted ignorantly as did your leaders. Repent and turn to God so that seasons of refreshment might come from the presence of God. Jesus, whom God raised up, of which all the prophets from Samuel to this present time predicted By faith in his name, his name alone, this man has been raised. Now, the guards of the temple and the priests and the Sadducees came to Peter and John very much annoyed, and they said to him, you must cease, and they put him in prison along with the others. But of those who heard Peter's message, about 5,000 of them believed. This is the word of the Lord. Is that some kind of story or what? If you want, you can look it up. It's in Acts 3. It follows Acts 2, which is really remarkable to me that Peter and John returned to the very site where the Spirit of God was poured out. Now, I'm telling you this story because I have it in my heart to hope and pray that when Ben and Stacy walk into this night, they will be convinced and prepared 
to do greater things in the name of Jesus. And if you want, you can enter that with them, doing greater things than Jesus. So let me just tick off a few things that I think are prerequisite to our doing those greater things. And this would be the first thing. If we're going to do greater things than Jesus, we're going to have to be consistent and regular in naming Jesus for ourselves. What stands out clear to me in this passage is that Peter and John were utterly unashamed of the name of Jesus. You just think about it. They had come to the temple for Passover. They had said to Jesus, this is not a good idea. Jesus said to them, it is time for me to fulfill all righteousness. He was crucified and died and was buried. He rose again from the dead. And they were trying this reality on for themselves. It would have been best for them to head to the high country and stay away from Jerusalem. But they came to Jerusalem because they were regular and consistent in naming Jesus as their own. They were not ashamed of him, and they were entering into his life. The point that I'm trying to make, if we're going to do greater things than Jesus, we're going to have to begin at a fairly simple level, and that is identifying with Jesus, naming Jesus. So let me just ask you a question. How many people in your dorm know that you belong to Jesus? When was the actually the last time you dared to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. Or, or, or here's another one. When was the last time you laid the course of your life against the vision of your life written in the book? This is all part of identifying with Jesus. How many times did you not hear him say, this Jesus, the name of Jesus. Jesus is everything to us. I want you just to, I'm going to take a break for a split second. I want you to take your hands and go like this. And then I want you to curl them under like this. And then I want you to release them with a certain attitude like that. Uh, but it'll be way, way cooler if we all do it together. And, <laughs> and Actually, when we release them like this, let's make the sound of like a rocket taking off, <laughs> like that. So, so I can coordinate this. Let's do it at the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that was cooler than I thought it was going to be. Let me, I, I want to tell you why I did that. I, I have been, as Chris alluded, uh, working around college kids for 112 years, and I love every bit of it. It seems like all of my life has been consumed with you. You get to be cool and graduate and go on to a better life, but I'm still stuck here working with you. But I love it. Many years now, I've worked in and around the campus of Hope College, serving a church in Holland, being the dean of the chapel at, Holland, at Hope College, and then professor preaching at the seminary. Oh, so not too many years ago, a professor from the English department at Hope College came to me, sort of humbly, and asked if I would pray for him and his wife 
They wanted a baby, and they were unable to. You've got to understand this. You, your professors go off to graduate school, and that's long and hard. And then they scramble to get a job, and then they have the pressure to publish, and then the anxiety about being tenured and then promoted. All of that's pretty tough. And for this young couple, that kept family matters on the back burner until it came time for them finally to start a family, only to discover they were biologically incapable of bearing a child themselves. And because they had waited so long, um, they were a little too old to adopt. So they were just asking me, would you pray for us, please? We want a child. Well, I did pray, and they kept asking one adoption agency after another until finally an adoption agency in Indiana looked with favor on them. They would have a child if they were willing to take a 12-year-old from China. Oh, they did not care. Just give us a little girl. Off they went to China to get their little doll. I was there at the Kent County International Airport when they came in along with a group of about 40 of us who just wanted to love on them with their new life. As they came off the plane, they looked like Auschwitz survivors, just all pale and dragged out. My friend, the English professor, stepped to me and he said, she can't speak a word of English. That was a pretty big dilemma for them. Now, because they had heard me preach several times, they knew I could throw around a Greek or a Hebrew word with considerable ease. They figured I knew every other language on the planet. So they brought their little girl to my office at the seminary thinking I could communicate with her. I can still see her standing in front of me looking about the size of an American girl doll. She was clutching in her hand a little black book that I figured was her adoption papers, family history, medical records, and we tried so hard to communicate. I would say, hello, and she would look at me like, well, like you're looking at me right now. And then as I'm communicating with her, trying to, it looked to me like the little black book started to pulse, like it had a heart. And I thought to myself, you don't think, do you? So I leaned into her and I said, Jesus. With that, her eyes opened up like a Christmas tree and she grabbed a pad on my desk and she started scribbling a little stick figure in an acorn. And I said, Jesus? She turned the page and started drawing several stick figures, one of them much bigger than all the rest. And I said, Jesus? Then she drew three crosses and the one in the middle bigger than the two flanking it. And I said, Jesus. And then she drew another stick figure laying down on a stone slab. She took the edge of her pencil and drew a dark canopy over it. And I said, Jesus. She turned the page and this time she or no, she kept the page the same and she started drawing what looked like lightning bolts coming out of the body. But she didn't like her artwork, so she took it, wadded it up and threw it away, took her fingers like this and went, and I said, Jesus, what was this little girl from China trying to teach me? 
that the whole of her life would be identified in and through and by Jesus. If you're going to do greater works than Jesus, you're going to have to start by identifying with Jesus here, there, and everywhere else. So let me ask you again, when was the last time somebody in your dorm heard the word Jesus from your lips? Well, it might have been a while ago, but it's not going to be much further from now. Tonight, you've got to go public about Jesus. Thank you. I'm going to say that again. Tonight, you've got to go public about Jesus. Thank you. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Uh, We begin to do greater works than Jesus when, well, when we ask him to do greater works through us. I read for you at the beginning, John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I stopped there, but look what follows. I, says Jesus, I, says Jesus, will do whatever you ask in my name. Think about it. Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Huh. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. There was always prayer going on at the temple, nine o'clock, noon, three o'clock. And the prayers at the temple were prescribed for the people. But on this occasion, when Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, what do you think they're going to pray about? Fifty days before they were there for Pentecost, and now they're back here again, and I think this is their prayer. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Let the fire come down from heaven. Let the wind whip. Give us the same power that you gave us at Pentecost. Do it again, Jesus. We begin to do greater things than Jesus when we ask him to do greater things through us. Then that would be a seriously good thing to write in your notebook. Remember, ask Jesus, who is waiting to do far more than we can abundantly think or ask. That is just the nature of Jesus. Where I come from, Western Theological Seminary, we have our hearts hanging on our belt buckles. Just at the end of the week, one of the most beautiful and wonderful young professors I've ever known, not even 40 years old, already recognized as being one of the 10 leading theologians in the world. He writes books like You Make Popcorn. I'm speaking of J. Todd Billings, who had to hear a doctor say to him this week, you have multiple myeloma." And you have several lesions on several bones, and it doesn't look good for you. 
I will do whatever you ask in my name. In the name of Jesus, would you make this beautiful man whole and well? We begin to do greater things than Jesus when we ask him. There is no medication that's going to make my young friend well, but there is a God in heaven who can. We do greater things than Jesus when we ask him to do greater things through us. One more. Am I going too long? Peter? what are you going to say to me? I got the microphone, man, (laughs) and I'm older than you are. We begin to do greater things than Jesus when we muscle up the courage to repent. Well, I don't want to be the Grinch that stole Christmas, but you listen to this. I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what had been foretold through all the prophets, that the Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God. Repent, therefore, and turn to God. Repent, therefore, and turn to God. Find yourself going in this direction, a direction that will lead you nowhere near home, and then when you come to your senses, turn around and go back to God. Repent. Do you know the first word spoken by Jesus of Nazareth in his public ministry? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Anybody here ever heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther jump-started the Reformation by pounding on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral 95 theses, 95 arguments that he had against Mother Church in Rome. Do you know what the first of those 95 arguments were? The first thing that he contended with the church, this is what he said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed that the whole of the Christian life should be marked by continual repentance. Repent. We begin to do greater works than God when we muscle up the courage to repent. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel. Make it perfectly clear. There isn't one of us here without stain. There's not one of us here without brokenness. But everyone here can be made whole by just coming to Jesus and saying, I need you. I repent. Repent. And you begin to do greater things than Jesus. So let me show you what this looks like in real life. Oh, from about 1999 to 2004, Hope College bought half my time from the seminary. I was professor of preaching by day and dean of the chapel by night. Now, the high watermark activity for the dean of the chapel at Hope College is uh, to preach at the gathering on Sunday night. Maybe some of you have been there. Old Dimnit Chapel just crowds and swells as more college kids than can fit in there come. A rock and roll band like yours plays wonderfully loud Christian music, louder than I can handle it. And then when the singing is done, 
an angel of the Lord stands up and proclaims the good news of Jesus. For those four years, I got to be that angel proclaiming the good news of Jesus. After the sermon, students are invited to come forward to eat the body and the blood of Jesus. We serve communion every Sunday night. And then, if there are students who have special need, things laying heavy on their heart, they can come up on the platform and there will be teams of students or chaplains who will pray for them. Now, during my years as dean of the chapel at Hope College, one of my students, a very rare and special student, would worship there every Sunday night. His name was Stephen Kazimba. He was a long, angular black man from Uganda. He was a holy man. You ask me how holy Stephen Kazimba was? All the other students called Kazimba father. And they weren't joking. Kazimba would come and he would sit up against the organ while I preached. And he would just pray the Holy Spirit come down on me. So I'm going to take you to one of those nights. I preached, communion followed, students streamed forward for prayer. I was over here praying with some young person when over there there was an incredible commotion. A young woman who had asked for prayer passed out. And it freaked the students who were praying with her out because her eyes rolled in the back of her head and fluttered, and they thought straight away that she was possessed with a demon. So they, recognizing that they were in over their head, ran to get me. I recognized that I was in over my head, so I ran and grabbed Kazimba. I probably should have called 911, but Kazimba seemed to be a better bet. We walked over and knelt down. Stephen and I laid hands on her. We said a prayer. She seemed to quiet down. We both stood up, and Kazimba said this to me. This is not a demon. I said, how do you know? He said, this is a besetting sin. A besetting sin? Do you know what a besetting sin is? I didn't know what one was. A besetting sin, I've come to know, is a deep darkness that you hold inside and you let no one know about it until finally, like toxic waste, it eats its way into your groundwater. This young woman had a besetting sin. She was a junior at Hope at the time. Four years previously, as a junior in high school, she got involved with her boyfriend. Way too involved. Woke up one morning pregnant and so frightened. What to do? Then finally, with only the knowledge of her boyfriend and her best friend, she drove out of town under the cover of darkness and had an abortion. She thought to herself, there, it's behind me. But it wasn't behind her. It was within her, deep within her. And on this night, with a gospel band blaring Christian music, the word of the Lord sounding like a foghorn, the body and blood of Jesus on full display, it was more than she could handle. 
and she just keeled over. Kazimba knelt down and said something to her. I could see him saying something to her, and he, she looked at him like a deer with her eyes caught in the headlights. And then, a few moments later, he helped her up, and they walked out together. Would you like to know what Kazimba said to her? He knelt down and said to her, Little one, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. It was after he had said that, she looked at him and said, Really? Kazimba said, Yes, little one, really. And they got up and walked out. Now, the story that I'm telling you tonight is, a well, it's 10 years old. 10 years ago, tonight, that happened. I still get emails from her. She went on, got a teaching job in Chicago, met a beautiful young man, and got married. And now she's pregnant for their third child. And in those early days when she would email me about her emerging life, her email address was newgirl at hotmail.com. New girl at Hotmail. She was a new girl. Repent, therefore, and turn that seasons of refreshment might come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus said, you will do greater things than me. And when we participate with Jesus in the things that he's doing, the greater things begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Are you completely sure, Lord, that we, utterly ordinary us, can do greater things than you? We offer ourselves promptly and sincerely in order that we might participate in what you intend to do. We hold Ben and Stacy before you. We love them both so grateful for their gifts, so grateful for their heart for you. And now we pray that you would give them every measure of grace to enter into your life so that your life might shine through them and they begin to do greater works than you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.